Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of JavaScript Jabber. My name is Steve Edwards, coming from a very frigid Portland, Oregon. And with me today, I have Maximiliano. I guess you go by Max, right? Yeah, that's fine. Fertzman? Fertzman, he's coming to us from Buenos Aires, Argentina. So Max, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your history and what you do? Yeah, sure. Well, thank you for the invitation. So yeah, I can go by Max. I'm a mobile web developer. That's how I define myself today. I've been doing web development for 20-something years before. Then I started doing mobile around 2001. So before the iPhone, before the Android. In, in the middle, I've been doing a lot of uh, workshops, trainings. Uh, I offer a couple of books, mostly on mobile and web, both technologies. These days, I'm more focused on PWAs, progressive web apps, as well as web performance. When I'm building a new product, G2i is the company that I call on to help me find a developer who can build the first version. G2i is a hiring platform run by engineers that matches you with React, React Native, GraphQL, and mobile engineers who you can trust. Whether you are a new company building your first product or an established company that wants additional engineering help, G2i has the talent you need to accomplish your goals. Go to devchat.tv slash G2i to learn more about what G2i has to offer. In my experience, G2i has linked up with experienced developers that can fit my budget, and the G2i staff are friendly and easy to work with. They know how product development works and can help you find the perfect engineer for your stack. Go to devchat.tv slash G2i to learn more about G2i. Okay, so let's go back a little bit. You said you've been doing this for about 24 years. So if you're like me, that means you started doing web development when the first tools, you're either handwriting HTML and CSS, or maybe you were using tools like Microsoft Front Page mm -hmm. or Dreamweaver. What were you using when you started out? So when I started, I was using Edit from MS-DOS, okay? That was my first website. Windows 3.1, I think. I, uh, I didn't have Windows 95 yet. So then, yes, I moved into Front Page, but my first websites were pure HTML. There were no CSS at the time. And yeah, then I moved into front page 98, I think. And then I was a Dreamweaver user for a couple of years uh, before going back to a simple editor. So what was your first scripting language? Was it ASP? Yeah, it was ASP, the, the classic ASP before PHP. But yeah, ASP, I think I did something on Perl before that. But uh, most of the time it was ASP. ASP, yeah, I, I started. I, I think about 98, probably. <laughs> Yeah, where I started was 98 with front page, and I, I went down the PHP route on uh, MySQL. And I can remember doing my first website in straight HTML, just using a JavaScript goodies or HTML goodies mm -hmm. and using the, the web space provided by my hosting provider, which was AT&T Broadband at the time. My first two websites were hosted in GeoCities. Oh, there you go. That's old school for those of us who remember GeoCities. Okay, so you started doing web development, and then when did you start doing it, say, professionally? Or? I think it was immediately, because I started doing uh, HTML. Before that, I was doing some Clipper apps, like some software for MS-DOS. Uh, but I started professionally doing web pretty uh, fast. I think it was my third website, but the first one I started to receive some money from it. So it's probably 1997 or wow. 96, something like that. Yeah, here I am still working on the same HTML language. <laughs> exactly. I can remember when the internet first started coming out, like 92, 93, I think. I remember using my friend's dial-up connection, taking mm -hmm. to download a photo, and he's yelling at me because I'm using up all his hours. And 
So you started getting into mobile. So I remember the first iPhone coming out around 2008, somewhere around there, if I remember right. Yeah. I just remember where it I was. It was 2007 was the first one. I thought of six years before that. So I started with WML. So it was uh, and WML and WML script. So they were for websites for, for WAP patients. Um, then I moved into J2ME, to Java Micro Edition. Then I did BlackBerry, Symbian, and many other platforms before the iPhone and Android. But yeah, I, iPhone started in 2007. And then we, we started seeing Android in the market as well. Right. Okay. So mobile development. So... So what's been, what have you worked on over the years with the mobile development? Were you just basically doing websites that you could see on a phone? And what was the progression from doing that into doing mobile-specific apps like we see today? Mm-hmm. I like to see that I always try to offer services or products over mobile. And then the technology that I was using might be different. So sometimes it was a website or, or, or web, web-based technology. Sometimes it was native. So I've been working from probably... 15 SDKs uh, for doing native as well. But I always try to bring the web into the mobile space. So I always like the idea of, uh, of the web, the open web, and bringing that into the, the mobile space. So yeah, I did app. Before that, I did uh, some other web solutions available for some platforms like BlackBerry. Um, these days, it's mostly about PWAs or, or progressive web apps. But I, I'm also doing workshops and, and delivering trainings on native technology. Next week, I'm traveling to the Bay Area to deliver a training for a company, and it will be uh, Swift and Objective-C. So I'm also a native developer, but I part of my heart is with the web. So I always try to, to bring the web uh, into the mobile space. Okay, yeah. So going back a little bit, I can I can recall I was doing a Drupal development for, for a number of years, if people have heard me mention. And when I first started getting to mobile development, or when sites that I was working on needed to do that, the way we did it was separate themes. So you had one for desktop and then you'd create a whole separate theme for mobile that was designed differently and so on. So Mm -hmm. you're basically maintaining two things for two different presentations for the same content. And then you started getting things like Bootstrap. I believe that was what the first sort of framework that came out that was, it was initially Twitter Bootstrap that was designed to accommodate for you, whether you were on a desktop and then a mobile. Is that uh, your recollection in terms of the progression? So uh, yeah, I have, I have other 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 things before that. So I, th- I think if, if you remember, the first the first thing was was a mobile version of the website that was completely in a different language. That was WML. After that, we had the first iPhone. With the first iPhone, we started to support the desktop web on mobile. So it was the first time you can actually render a desktop website on a mobile device. And then we had the pinch gesture to zoom in. Mm-hmm. Then we moved into this idea that, yeah, maybe we need to do something special. And we had the that I usually add, so m.cnn.com, like a separate HTML version. And then responsive web design appeared. Right. That's what you are saying. So right. the idea that one code can serve different platforms. The problem was that we didn't realize that responsive web design had a very high cost in web performance for mobile devices. So then that's why... After a while, we started to see different approaches, not just responsive web design. Okay, so the cost was in what? The extra JavaScript or the extra code that was needed to handle the responsive changes? Yeah, it's, it's JavaScript, but it's also CSS and resources. So just to give you a, a, a no idea, 
But if you have different CSS files, with them, even with media query, the browser needs to download all the CSS files, even if the media query is false. Um, regarding web performance, the browser will not render any pixel on the screen, at least at the time, if all the CSS was not downloaded and parsed. So talking about mobile phones and cellular networks and probably slow 3G networks at the time, that was a problem because then the mobile phone needed to download and parse a lot of CSS that we'll never use. And that leads to some performance issues on, on mobile devices and, and conversion problems. That's why a lot of big companies have to move back to the M dot version at the time because they were having money problems. So they were having less users, less visits, because basically people were not waiting for the page to load. I mean, that's still a problem. Anytime I mm -hmm. hear a discussion about developing for mobile and performance, you mean places like maybe if I'm sitting here, you know, my desktop with my powerful iMac and, you know, nice speeds and something's going to be pretty quick for me or, on, you know, on a phone, on a new Android or Samsung or iPhone or whatever. But in a lot of other parts of the world, you know, maybe you have older phones and you've got slower downloads. And, and so it's always an issue of, of dealing with performance if you want your customers to be able yeah. to see your site. So there are a couple of uh, views on, on, on this, uh, this problem on the network. Let me, let me tell you this first. Let's say that everyone is in 4G. Let's say that. Of course, it's not true, but let's say that everyone is in 4G LTE. The problem with that is that we are thinking about the bandwidth. And yeah, 4G is better than 3G and 2G. But in terms of latency, it's better, but it's 10 times bigger than the latency that we have at home on a cable or DSL connection. And the latency is the time that it takes to get the bytes from the server per TCP packet. So even those 4G lucky users, that today is around 45% of the users worldwide, even those users, they have a big latency on every TCP packet. So that's the problem. That's why we still have a performance issue. And let me tell you this. So I'm traveling a lot. I've been to 72 countries so far, 72, and different cities. And sometimes I'm in the middle of Silicon Valley. I remember this, having my latest iPhone with a 4G data plan, and I was being downgraded to 2G. So this is still something that happens when you get out of the city. Sometimes you get out of main cities and you are in 3G or 2G. But even in 4G, okay, we need to remember the latency. That's the biggest problems that we have. So no matter where you are, you can still have a slow connection even if you're in, in an area that has 4G. Yeah. Just a little bit outside of town. Okay. So the solution is PWAs then? Is that sort of seen as, as the solution from a performance standpoint? For some of these issues, or I guess, let's go this way. What is a PWA? Can you give me a definition? I've heard various, I know there's various rules that you have to have, but what is it that makes up a PWA and what is the benefit of a PWA? Okay, let me give you my definition because there is no definition. <laughs> so that's the first thing. There is no real definition of PWA. But a PWA is just a design pattern, like responsive design. It's a design pattern, a, a set of best practices. In this case, to create web apps that are installable and they can work offline and fast on several operating systems. So it's not that they can act as a normal website inside the browser Chrome, so inside the browser window. And also they can be installed. And after they are installed, they have a first-class experience on that OS. 
meaning in a standalone Windows on Mac OS, Linux, or Windows, or meaning being a, an APK, an Android package, an Android, or being in a standalone app on iOS. So that's a PWA. So it's a website using new APIs and new solutions from, from browsers, vendors, that will let us install the app and make that app available offline. And after it's installed, it looks like any other app on the system. That's roughly the idea. So it's a design pattern. So then if it's going to be able to run locally with the idea that it doesn't have an internet connection in offline mm-hmm. mode, so that means that it's generally going to have some sort of local data storage? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, for that, we have the service worker. So if you have a Herable service worker, it's a JavaScript file that we set in our web app. And that service worker will be responsible for caching and serving those files when the user is offline, but also when the user is online. Because maybe we are online, but yeah, we want to be fast. We want to react like a native app. So that's the service worker will serve those files locally. In fact, I usually want, like to say that the service worker is like a web server that we are installing in the client written in JavaScript. A service worker is mandatory for a PWA, so it's, it's the brain. It's the brain of, of a PWA. Okay, so that's a service worker. Is a, it's purely JavaScript then? Yes. Okay. And it's, okay. it's currently compatible with all the browsers. So it's available, that API is available on, on the latest version of every major browser, Safari, Edge, Chrome, and Firefox, and Opera. Okay, so it's in the browser, but if you're running... Okay, now I'm confused. So if it's a browser standard, but if you're running natively somewhere, then you don't have a browser. The browser is always there, even if you don't see the browser. So oh, on a okay. PWA, on a PWA, when even when an APK is installed, APK is the Android package on Android. So when you install a PWA on Android, you actually get a native package. But inside that native package, the only thing that is stored is a URL. And Chrome, or the browser you're using, is the one that is going to render your app without the browser UI. So in full screen mode or standalone mode, but this is still the browser. Okay, so your, your app is being rendered. So is the rendering handled by the native libraries or the native toolkits for you know, rendering a toolbar or a window, or that's still all the browser? That's where I'm getting No, it's, it's all the browser. It's not like React Native or NativeScript. In those cases, you, you use JavaScript, but then that JavaScript will render on the screen native components from the, from the SDKs, from iOS or Android. A PWA will use just HTML and CSS to render the content on the screen, or SVG or, or web, web content in general. You can use WebAssembly if you want, but you cannot access native APIs. So, if you want to access the file system, for example, you need to wait for the browser to have support for that API. Okay, I see. So it's basically you are using the browser in both places, whether you're using that on the browser or on the phone, the browser's running. Okay, that makes a little more sense. So are there any other additional pieces of code or files that you have to have for POWA other than, than your service worker? Yeah, you need... At least one more, one more file. It's uh, known as the Web App Manifest. It's just a JSON file that you link in, into your HTML document. That JSON file will have the metadata for the OS. For example, that includes the app name, the icons, and other metadata that is useful for that OS in particular. It, it's on a standard from the W3C, so it, it's not OS specific, but 
the browser will use information from that manifest to actually uh, integrate with the OS when that app is installed. So let me tell you this, that's not the only way that we have to distribute an app, the browser. Today, you can actually distribute officially PWAs on some app stores, for example, Google Play Store. So there is a way that we have, an official way from, from, from the Chrome team. You create what I like to call a PWA launcher, and that's a native APK that will not contain your JavaScript or HTML files, will not contain the files, which just contain the URL. Then the user will download the app from the store, like any other app from the store, but then Chrome, yeah, an invisible Chrome, because the user is not actually seeing any Chrome user interface, Chrome will take care of downloading the resources, updating the resources when, when resources are changing, server-side, and rendering the app on the screen. Okay, so you provide a URL that has all the resources for your particular application that you have to store somewhere, manage somewhere? Is yeah, the service worker, the service worker, that, that little piece of JavaScript that we write with, with the PWA will be responsible when you open the app for the first time to cache all the resources that are needed uh, later. That cache is not the normal standard cache that if the user clears the cache will be deleted. So it has a different life cycle. Mm -hmm. um, you can even request uh, with some JavaScript APIs, you can request a way for the, so the browser will not delete those files. So a way to to guarantee that those files will be there no matter what. Okay, yeah, so it's a separate cache, so it's not going to get cleaned out automatically and you're going to lose all no. of your application, right? Exactly. So when you're hosting these files, these resources that the service worker is calling, is that something you store like in a GitHub repo somewhere? It's or? just HTTP, so wherever wherever you want to score. You, you just need HTTPS. So okay, it's so just okay. A, a standard hosting. You can still use FTP servers if you want. An Amazon S3 bucket or Dropbox Anywhere. or whatever. Anywhere, static, okay. static assets, like, like a normal website. So we are not changing the foundations of how the web works. It's just a website that is using a new API. And when that API is there, then that app can be installed. Okay. So if I'm loading a PWA onto my, say, onto my computer, onto my desktop, you said the service workers, you know, work in Safari, Chrome, Firefox, Edge, and so on and so forth. Which browser is it using for doing all the rendering? So that's a good question. So the answer is, it depends on how are you installing or how or from where are you installing the app. So to install a PWA today, you have a couple of options. Typically, you're installing a PWA from a browser. That browser is going to be the engine. So if you have two browsers on Android, for example, Firefox and, and Chrome, and you install the same PWA twice, you cannot do that with Chrome, but let's say you can. You will have two instances of the same, the same PWA using two different browsers. I mean, it's not common on Android that that will happen anyway. So the answer is that it will use the engine that you used to install the app. Okay. What, happens with, what, what happens with the store if you are installing the app from the App Store, in this case, Google Play Store or Android? Let's talk about Android only for now. So in that case, it will use your default browser. I mean, the browser needs to support a new service for PWAs, Chrome is supporting that service, and also Samsung Internet Browser. And Firefox is about to, uh, to support that pretty soon. So if you are a Firefox user, then you should install apps, PWAs from the store. And by the way, as a user, you don't know if it's a PWA or not. But if you're a Firefox user, then that PWA will use the Firefox engine. Okay, so you know, yeah, it just depends on however you download it then. So 
going to this scenario where you said maybe you could have two instances of the same PWA on a phone, does that mean they both would have their own local data stores then? Well, it depends on the engine. On iOS, for example, each instance will have its own separate storage. So for example, Tinder, tinder tinder.com, I'm sure if you know that. (laughs) I haven't used Tinder, but anyway, you know Tinder. (laughs) Tinder is a PWA. Okay. Tinder, if you go to tinder.com, you can actually install it from from your iPhone, Android, or desktop computer. And on iOS, so every time you install Tinder, you will have a different instance. And you can have one account per icon because each instance will have its own local storage, cookies, index EV, and even its own storage for, for the files. On Android, let's say if you use Chrome, you won't be able to install more than one because Chrome is actually creating an APK, an APK. It won't let you install another one. But if you use other browsers, you can actually have more than one instance. And in this case, you will use the engine of each browser, but of course, it's not shared with the others. Okay, does it make any sense? So, so they're, all, um, they're all sandboxed is what it is. Yeah, exa- exactly. But let me, let me add this because that's important. On Android and desktop, Windows, Mac, Linux, and Chrome OS, when you are installing a PWA with Chrome, the storage of that that app is shared with the normal Chrome, which means that if you are already logged in in Tinder.com, the website, you are also logged in in Tinder.com, the app, because it's, it's the same Chrome engine and it's sharing the storage. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. A few years ago at a JavaScript conference, I was approached by Nader Dabbit. And you might know him for the React Native Radio podcast. He's also a developer evangelist for Amazon. And when he came to me, we had a conversation about React Native. And the thing that I love about React Native is that it's approachable, it's web technology, and it's cross-platform. And it makes a lot of things really easy for developers to jump in and do interesting things on mobile with JavaScript. So we've had this show now running for several years. React Native Radio, where we interview people about the React Native ecosystem, some of the things that are coming out in React and how they affect mobile, and other options that you have for mobile development. So if you're doing mobile development, you're doing it in JavaScript, you're looking for a good option, or maybe you're just trying to stay current with React Native, then go check out React Native Radio at reactnativeradio.com. If I'm writing a PWA, Progressive Web App, what are the different tools that I can use to do it? For instance, could I use like a Vue, Angular... React framework with something like React Native or some of the native scripts? Is it only for you know Swift or Objective-C or the tools used for Android? What are the different mm-hmm. tools that you can use to write PWA? Okay, you will definitely use uh, tool chains from the web space, not from the native space. So no Objective-C, no Swift, no React Native. You can use Angular, React, JS, or Vue, in fact, the CLIs from these tools create PWAs for you if you enable, uh, in the case of Angular, it's a schematic, it's like a plugin. So if you enable a PWA plugin, Angular will create a PWA and the service worker for you. And the same you see if you just create React app to create React apps. So it's always on the, on the web space. So this is, we're talking about W3C APIs. Everything is done with JavaScript and, and web technologies and browser engines, so it's on that side. In the case that you want to publish your PWA in the Google Play Store, to create that launcher, you might want to use Android Studio. That's the, say, the native SDK for native apps, but also there are some freeware and open source tools on the web that will do that for you. 
Microsoft has launched PWA Builder, pwabuilder.com, and that website will create that launcher for you. So you don't even need to get into native tools. You just use Visual Studio Code or whatever editor you're using. You publish that on any hosting or, or cloud-based provider, and that's all you need. Okay, so it's pretty transparent to create your, your launcher. So you got all these different tools, but it's definitely web-based. Okay, all right, that makes sense. Anything I'm missing in terms of building PWAs? I think we've covered the, what you need. So it's a web app and then the service worker, uh, that metadata. We've been talking about publishing the PWA, so you install it from the browser. That's I think that's the trickiest part today. So uh, in terms of how users will know about the installation, so how users know about PWAs. Today, if you're using Chrome on desktop, maybe you have seen this, maybe not, but sometimes when you're on a website that is actually a PWA, you will see a little install button that appears in the Omnibox. The Omnibox is the URL bar. So in the URL bar, an, an install icon with a plus sign will appear when you are in a PWA. So that's how the users will know, oh, this website is a PWA, I can actually install it. This is something that is still unknown from a user's point of view. So not every user knows about this and how are you installing a website. So this is something that is getting better with time, with new browsers. Now you can actually create your own install button in your own user interface. So you can have a button somewhere in your URL saying, hey, do you want to install the app? Click here. And that will trigger the installation dialog. This is a tricky part from a marketing point of view because users sometimes don't know about this. Despite that, technologies are pretty mature. So at least for, 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 for a basic app. Now you can use a web share, web, uh, you can use web payments, uh, request payment APIs. So all the web APIs available out there are available on, on PWAs. So not every app can be a PWA because sometimes you actually need some native SDKs, but a lot of apps can be PWA. So if your app is just consuming web content or web services, which just downloading JSON files from the server and rendering that on the screen, maybe it's a good candidate for a PWA because it's just a website, basically. So if you need to go native with some hardware access, well, then we need to check if the web technologies and web APIs are mature enough for, for that particular project. So I want to come back to the local storage real quick. What are the common tools or is there one over the other that are used for your local storage? Is it just like a local storage in a browser type thing? You're talking like, you know, databases that you can like MySQLite, for instance, mm -hmm. is the one that comes to mind or what are the options for that? So for PWA, we are running under the browser umbrella, right? So that means that we can only use APIs available from the browser. So that means that takes uh, SQLite or, my, or MySQL out of the equation. So what do we have right now? If we have one storage known as cache storage, that storage is for the actual files of the app. So the resources of the app, the HTML, the CSS, and JavaScript and images. On iOS, we have a limit of 15 megabytes. On all the other platforms, there is no limits. So you can actually install as many space as you want from the storage. Then we have the data storage. So the actual data that the user is uh, generating or downloading from, from web services. In that case, we can use IndexedDB, that is a NoSQL database, well known in the, in the web space today. Or local storage is for more simple key value storage 
that is very limited in, in space. So we have one storage for the actual app and another storage for the data. Are the limitations the same for the data storage as for the app storage in terms of 50 so, megs on uh, it's, iOS? It's similar. So uh, you have another 50 megs on, on Index TV for iOS. In terms of, um, let's say, Android, Chrome-based, typically you can request more space with user permission. And right now, it's a percentage of your available space. So if you have a device with no space, no available space in the memory, or a computer with no space in the hard drive, maybe the space that you have uh, will be just two megs or something like that. But if you have enough space, it's pretty unlimited, to be honest, today. It sounds scary that uh, every website can store uh, as much as they want, but that's basically how it works today. Are you able to access like an SD card that's in a mobile device or is it strictly the internal storage that's on the phone itself? So today, it's a complete, it's, a, it's an agnostic API. So you just store somewhere. You don't know where. It's up to the browser. So it's a sandbox. So you don't know exactly the real file system. Chrome is working on a new API that it's called the Native File System API. It's currently in beta. So it's, they're testing that and it will come in the next, per, next one or two versions of Chrome only on the Chrome side. And with user permission, you can actually access the real file system. So you can actually create a text editor or Visual Studio code that is basically JavaScript. It can be directly a website or a PWA. You don't actually need a, a native wrapper with that API. That's coming. It's not exactly today. So the storage sheets that you have available are storage sheets that are agnostic from the real file system. You just store somewhere. You have an API, you store, you retrieve, but you don't know exactly from where. Which is the point of an API in the first place, right? Yeah, <laughs> you just yeah. give it what you need and it handles everything behind the scenes. So okay. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. I'm just curious, since you've been doing this for a while, can you give us some examples of PWAs that you worked on, you know, just in a generic sense in terms of functionalities maybe that are sort of cool or unique? Well, in terms of functionality, I've been working on PWAs for games for apps that are taking QR codes, apps that are, for example, so when you order a pizza or something like that, you know, you have maybe a small pizza place that you have in town, you don't need a native app and hire a Java developer or a Kotlin developer for Android or a Swift developer on iOS, but you want to have an order app. Well, maybe PWA is just web, so it's simple to maintain for, for small businesses. That's one example. But I've been working for a lot of, uh, con- I've been consulting for a lot of big companies doing, doing PWAs. And today, there are big names doing PWAs like Google Maps, Twitter, Tinder, as I mentioned before. A lot of newspapers are, are also having PWAs. I remember one that is in the store. It's 1-800-Flowers in the US. Yes. 1-800-Flowers. They used to have a native app on the uh, Google Play Store. And they replaced that with a React based PWA in the store. So if you go now to the store and download that app, you will actually see a PWA. You don't know that as a user, just an app, but it's the same code base because it's not the same code base. It's actually the same URL that the one that when you go to the website, that's a big advantage. Oh yeah, so right, once used multiple places. I can yeah. see, yeah, definitely use. So another way that I know that you can you know, write web apps and use them on computers or so on is something like Electron. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Slack, you know, is the classic example that's written in Electron. Have you ever compared like performance or any of the characteristics between the two 
Well, so most of the time, I mean, as a general rule, PWAs will run faster. Why? Because you're not actually shipping a Chrome engine. With Electron, you're actually shipping a Chrome engine and also a Node engine. That means that when you have a PWA, you're actually going to use the engine that you have installed in your browser. That is being evolved with time. So Chrome, every couple of weeks, you get a new version. So your PWAs will always use the, the, the latest version of the engine. So that's why it's typically faster. But compared with Electron, I think Electron might disappear in the future if we have a lot of uh, new APIs coming to the web. And Chrome is working on that with something known as Project Fugu. Project Fugu is the project that they're trying to bring all the APIs from the native world to the web. So then we don't need Electron or PhoneGap anymore. So we don't need to wrap web into a native container that might have security issues because you are not in control of the engine. Today, Electron is still needed for some reasons because sometimes you need to actually execute native code, for example, for accessing the file system. So that's why now they are creating new APIs. But yeah, that's Chrome. On the iOS world or Mac world, things are moving slower. So yeah, you can install PWAs, but they're not adding so many APIs. They are usually on Twitter, the, the, the WebKit guys. They tend to be more, how can I say this? <laughs> they should be more um, <laughs> critical, saying like, we don't want to push too hard on APIs. We want to be more private. We want to we wanna be more, let's say, slower. They want to be slower in terms of implementation of APIs. So we have like uh, kind of a race here between Chrome and Safari. Chrome is trying to push the limits of the browser a lot. And Apple is trying to play safe. So at, at that point, it depends on the platform that uh, you want to target. Hmm. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Pretty consistent with what we tend to see from Apple anyway. Okay, anything else you want to cover that I have failed to bring up? No, I think the best way to try PWAs is to test one. Just go with the browser to one of the PWAs. There is a place, it's AppScope, just Google AppScope, a guide of PWAs available. So you just go and install one so you can actually experience that a lot. That's the best way to experience a PWA. Just use your iPhone, add to the home screen a PWA, use your Android or, and try one so you can actually experience uh, how it looks like and what you can do with it. Uh, okay, so yeah, here's AppScope, A-P-P-S-C-O.P-E. Yeah, okay. the URL it's actually yeah. AppScope, so they're using right. .be as the domain. Right, exactly. Okay, that's brilliant. Okay, so noticing here that you've got quite a number of books, especially it looks like you write a lot for O'Reilly. Yeah. High-performance mobile web, programming for the mobile web, web mobile. So which one's your most current? The last one is, is free, so it's available for free on my website. It's um, Hacking Web Performance. And the previous one is High Performance Mobile Web. So my books, the latest books were more targeting on, on web performance for mobile okay. devices. Hacking Mobile Web. Okay, yeah. So your site is firt.mobi. That's correct. Yep. Okay, cool. So we'll put that in the show notes for sure. And then it looks like they can see links to all your articles and books and other stuff. Well, great. Thanks. I've learned a lot. Okay. Talking great. about great PWAs and mobile apps. I've been pretty desktop focused, so it's good to learn more about the mobile apps. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out.
So now let's go into picks. Are you aware of picks or what we do for picks? Just anything that you want to talk about that you think is cool, whether it's technical or non-technical, a movie, a book, a tool, something that's been really useful or interesting to you lately? Hmm, let me think about that. Why do you think I'm going to go ahead and do mine real quick? My pick for today is an oldie but a goodie, and it's called The Club. And The Club is basically a thing you can put on your car steering wheel to sort of deter thieves from it. And it's a particular interest to me because I bought my kids a car a couple years ago, and it's a 2000 Honda Civic. And here in the U.S., those cars made around then were very easy to steal because of the keys and are just really poor security. It's easy to break in. So last December, my daughter had it stolen from work, and we found it a couple of days later. Some guy was just living in it. And then last week... My son's been driving it and it got stolen from in front of our house in the middle of the night. And we just found it last night and got it back. In both cases, they forgot to put the club on. Every other day we've had the club on there and people say, oh, it really doesn't work. Professional thieves can get past it. And that may be true, but for the casual thief, it's going to stop them. But in both cases, the one times that they didn't put the club on is when it got stolen. When a club's on there and never have any problems, even for a car like that. So there's a few different versions of the club out now. It's, uh, you can get red and yellow versions and two hooks and one hook and so on. But my son, in this case, he put it on but didn't lock it, which really didn't make it very useful. <laughs> so I got him a club now that auto locks. So when you put it on the steering wheel and you spread it apart, it automatically locks. And, you don't, and then you have to use the key to unlock it. So that's my vote for the club. It's certainly uh, never, never had a car stolen when the club has been on it and properly locked. So Max, what's your pick? You got any? I think I will go back to the PWX. I will, I will uh, not talk about cars. I will go back to PWX. So something I've been trying, uh, going back to the PWA thing, it's a new tool from Google known as Yama. So L-L-A-M-A. It's a CLI that they, it's on GitHub, it's open source, that will create a PWA launcher for you. So you have a PWA or a website, and that CLI will create an Android project that will actually be ready for the Play Store. So you don't need to know anything about Android development. It's like a shortcut to the PWA. It's only one month old or something like that. So. Yeah, I'm looking at it's, got, it's on NPM. Yes, it's, it's on NPM. Chaos Llama. Oh, maybe it's not that one. Oh, no, 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 it's not. That's for AWS. Let me find another one here. Okay, we'll find it and put it in the show notes. But awesome. So is that your only pick? It's Yamapak. Yeah, Yamapak. That's the name. I'm pasting the URL right now. Okay, awesome. We will put that in the show notes. All right. Well, thank you very much, Max. Very good to hear from you from down in Buenos Aires. Oh, where can people get a hold of you if they want a hold of you, whether it's Twitter or GitHub or what's the basic place to get a hold of you? Typically Twitter. I'm F-Firt, F-I-R-T on Twitter. So four letters. That's a simple username. The same as my, this was third one is my, my last name. So it's the first four letters of my last name, F-I-R-T. F-I-R-T on Twitter. All right. All right. Well, thank you, Max. And we will see you around the internet. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Steve. All right. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.